You can turn in your pew Bibles to Luke chapter 1. I'm looking for my bulletin so I can give you the page number. Um, we have been going through this Christmas season, the Gospel of Luke. And you can find the page number there. Uh, it's number 855. We'll begin in verse 39. And today we will see uh, Mary, her song, her visit to Elizabeth. Picking up in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. You'll join me in praying the prayer of illumination printed in your bulletin. Our Father, we have heard wonderful things out of thy word. We praise you for revealing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and ask you to give us your spirit so that we may understand the fullness of your truth. Amen. You may be seated. There are moments, moments in our lives that we will always remember. Sometimes they're tragic moments. I know many of us in this room recall where we were on September the 11th, 2001. Many of us might remember where we were when the Challenger shuttle disaster happened, or if you're my age, the Columbia shuttle disaster. There are these moments that we share together as a culture. Sometimes they're not even moments that are tragic. Sometimes they're just water cooler moments. We all remember talking about the finale of this or that series. Some people remember where they were when Seinfeld ended. Some people remember where they were when Game of Thrones ended. I know this, and I know this about us, because I've heard some of these stories in our own congregation. I know where some of you were on September the 11th. Some of us were in school. Some of us were driving to work. I know one person here was very near to the Pentagon. There are stories 
that are so ubiquitous in our culture that we tell one another, that we come back to and we check in on. Someone that I barely know, an acquaintance, I remember his story about September the 11th. He was here. He was a school-age kid, probably in high school. He's trapped in the district. These are these moments that we check in, that we share together. Perhaps already, maybe in a few years, we'll be asking one another, well, where were you? March 2020. When everything shut down. There are these moments that kind of change what's going to happen in the next few years, in the next few decades. And we look back and we say, where were we? What happened? In our gospel reading this morning, Luke highlights one of those moments where everything changed. The only way to make sense of a lot of what's going on here is to note that this is the moment that everything changed. Yearly, we stop and we pause and we think about Christmas. We think about the incarnation. We can also talk and share with one another about our own family's Christmas traditions. But today we're going to pause and reflect on the fact that there was a world before Christ was incarnate. There was a time that he wasn't and then he was. There was a world before Christ stepped down into it. We remember the words of John in the opening of his gospel where he calls mankind itself darkness. The darkness didn't recognize the light of the world. The light of the world came down, stepped down from heaven to illuminate his people. And we also see that this is a personal turning point for Mary. It's not just that life for everyone changes. Her life is changing rapidly before her eyes. It changes right alongside the life of God's covenant people. And here, here in our text today, what we see is that Mary realizes that. She's singing this song in that way, recognizing that everything has changed. Before we move on into our points for this morning, we should draw out a couple of the priorities that the Gospel of Luke has. Um, Luke often draws our attention to the lowly, the poor, the needy. He draws our attention to them again and again. The spiritually depressed, those who were held at bay from temple worship. He draws our attention to Gentiles and to women. He was one of those folks. He was a Gentile. He was not allowed into the temple. The gospel changes that. It had a personal effect for him, for you, and for I. And what Luke is trying to tell us this morning is that it, it has that effect even when he's just barely conceived. Even when Jesus is just barely in Mary's womb, things are as good as changed. Luke also will very carefully connect the Old and New Testaments for us. It's not just that everything changed, but that this was promised. We'll see together today that the mothers and their sons are contrasted, highlighted for us. We're supposed to compare them. Jesus is the fulfillment of all those prophecies, all those promises. That's where Luke, Luke's gospel will end in Luke 24, with Jesus telling them, telling the disciples about how he fulfills the scriptures. And so at the same time he's ushering in a new era, he's breaking down old barriers, 
It's also a fulfillment of the words that were spoken to the prophets. Jesus is already shaming the wisdom of the world by coming down to Mary. He's already having that foolishness of the gospel break in. The wisdom of the world would not choose Mary. The wisdom of the world would not do it this way. And so we have three three points this morning if you're a note taker. We're going to look at the meeting of Mary and Elizabeth. Then we're going to look at Mary's song. And then we're going to take a moment before we close to think about what it means that Mary is blessed. Blessed by faith and in the Spirit. So to begin, this meeting of Mary and Elizabeth. These are the first few verses going from 39 to 45. Why do we have this here? Why do we have this account? Why are we bringing these two women together? This is the only gospel that records it. Well, there are some clues. Why is Mary doing this? Why do we have it here? Well, first, first clue is what their relationship is. The word here um, is translated relative. You could translate it kinswoman. This term is kind of generic. It's not a very specific term. Maybe you've heard that they were cousins. That's a guess. We don't know exactly what the relationship was. You can think in a few verses in Luke when the boy Jesus is at the temple and his parents lose him. What do they think? They think, well, maybe he's with kinspeople, kinsfolk, or acquaintances. It's this whole group they're traveling with. Maybe he's with some of our relatives. It's not a very specific word. Paul will use it in Romans 9 to talk about all Jews. I have, I have a passion that my kinsmen will turn to Christ. And he's talking about Jews as a whole. Generally speaking, this word just kind of means distant family. Mary and Elizabeth are distant family. They're connected somehow. Maybe they belong to the same clan. But that distance could be rather large. A lot of people assume that they were particularly close. We don't know that. We also have a clue in when Mary comes. She's there during Elizabeth's last trimester, from the sixth month to the ninth month. Having uh, two children, I know that the last trimester can be a challenging time. It's difficult. You need a lot more help. That's when Mary comes. Mary also, during her song, emphasizes her lowliness, her servant nature. She calls herself God's slave. It's not uncommon in Psalms to see that, and we'll see that this draws on Psalms a lot. But perhaps Luke is using this language to suggest to us that Mary is there to serve Elizabeth. She's a family member. She's of the clan. She's coming to help in that last trimester. There's a young girl. Maybe they want to get her out of town. Go help your relative. She needs some extra hands. Whatever the reason she's there, she comes and we're invited to compare Elizabeth and John and Mary and Jesus. And Mary is there in lowliness, not in exaltation. The first invitation for us to compare these two come in Elizabeth's benediction. As soon as she hears Mary's greeting, right? Mary up and goes to the hills. That's one way to translate this. Um, as soon as she enters the house, she greets Elizabeth and the baby leaps. And Elizabeth starts acting like a prophetess. She's filled in the spirit. John the Baptist leaps. As an aside, right, this is a moment 
where we see the Spirit move an infant in utero. He inclines John to to recognize, to have a sign, even in the womb. If we remember back to the promise to Zechariah, what was it? The Spirit will be present with him, even in the womb. He's filled with the Spirit too, just like the angel promised. And so Elizabeth overflows. She's filled with the Spirit and she pronounces a blessing. This is what prophets do. They pronounce blessing and curse. But here, Elizabeth only has words of blessing. The first person to speak a word of blessing in the Gospel of Luke. Besides the angel, the first human is Elizabeth. Now, there are two words here that are being translated blessed. Um, Our translation doesn't distinguish them. There are two different words going on here. So in verse 42, we have one word, and in verse 45, we have a different word. Perhaps the best way to kind of wrap our minds around this is to think of some words we use regularly in church services. Verse 42 is kind of like a benediction. It's a good word. It's a blessing. It's being spoken. It's a promise. This is kind of the generic term for blessing. Mary has had a good word spoken to her, about her. She is considered, favored, blessed to be praised. God has been kind and favorable to Mary. And that's what these blessings in verse 42 point out. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But then, in verse 45, we get a second word. Still translated blessed here in the ESV, but... It's the word that we uh, translate in the Beatitudes, right? You go to Matthew's Gospel and you, blessed are those who, blessed are those who, which is the same word that you would translate Psalm 1 with, blessed is the man. And this word really is about the fortune, the favor, the happiness, the joy that was visited upon Mary. We don't have record of Mary saying anything to Elizabeth. And both of these blessings, both of these words are just pouring out as the Spirit fills her. Elizabeth just knows. Filled with the Spirit, she understands. She has this divine revelation. This is the mother of the Lord. And so Elizabeth is the first one to recognize that blessing. She also notes, and we'll come back to this again and again throughout the sermon, that Mary is blessed by faith, right? This is that verse 45. She is fortunate. She is happy. Happy is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She's blessed by faith. And so this meeting, we have this moment to compare these two, and we'll continue as we go through the song to compare these two. But we pause and think about two women being blessed by the Lord. Two women being blessed by this child, barely conceived. The Spirit's already being poured out. Luke is pointing us out, pointing that out to us. The women are already being included in the plan. Calvin, at this point, makes a comment um, about how unlikely it is, right, that the, the women are the ones, the men weren't ready. And so it had to fall upon the women. He also talks in his sermons uh, 
at the cross when the women um, give the disciples the news of Jesus' resurrection, he says, you know, they had failed so badly in Jesus' school, they had to go back to the women's school. But here, what Luke is pointing out to us is how blessed these two women are by God's grace. Because they believe what God has said to them. And so Mary's reception of this blessing, right? What does it do? It causes her to overflow in gratitude. And she overflows into this this song, this poem. My soul magnifies the Lord. We often call this the Magnificat. That's just the Latin for the first word for magnify. My soul magnifies the Lord. As we are psalm singers here, we even sang a psalm today. This is not too unfamiliar. We're, we're used to this kind of language. This seems like a psalm, right? Mary's song seems very fitting. If we put it in the psalms, we wouldn't blink twice. We often sing songs like this. Uh, one of the reasons we sang Psalm 113 is because 1 Samuel 2, which is often uh, alluded to as a background for this passage, is related to Psalm 113. There's all these connections. And Mary is alluding to a lot of psalms. She's pulling a lot of language from the psalms. There are so many. If you have some time between lessons and carols, maybe you can go through all the cross-references. If you have the ESV Bible app, you can just click on them and they'll pop up for you. But this, this song, it's very much written in the language of the Old Covenant. And some would say, well, this, this song isn't fitting for Mary for that reason. This song isn't quite Mary's song. Maybe it's Elizabeth's song. So much so that we actually have some texts, variant texts, that have Elizabeth sing this, not Mary. Those are minor, and they're almost certainly incorrect. But this, this seems like the song of a barren woman. Mary's not barren. Well, this is another chance for us to compare and contrast. Why is Mary singing this song and not Elizabeth? Well, Mary and Elizabeth are standing at the turning of the ages, as I've already said. In the incarnation, that promise, and now the beginning of the fulfillment, mark a turning point. The Messiah is come. We no longer wait. The time of the kingdom of God is at hand. And this helps explain one of the reasons throughout this song, these verbs are in the past tense. All of these things are as good as done. He has shown strength. He has brought down. He has filled. It's not something he will do. It's something he's already done. With God's promise, with the child conceived, this is a fate accompli. This is done. It's over. The world is turned upside down already. The day of fulfillment is here. No longer the day of promise. And in the day of fulfillment, it's not just the barren, but the virgin who conceives. The shift goes from something unlikely, right, that we see throughout the Old Testament again and again, like with Hannah and 1 Samuel 2. It's not the unlikely thing that happens. It's the miraculous thing. It's not just an answer to prayer, that God answers prayers, but that God gives miraculous signs. 
that he does miracles to save his people. Some of you know that I'm fond of quoting this line from W.H. Auden, right? We who must die demand a miracle, says the chorus in his Christmas oratorio. We're going to die. We need a miracle. And here it's happening. And so in the day of fulfillment, the virgin conceives and bear a son. It's a sign for all of us. And the Messiah comes in fulfillment of the old covenant, but in excess as well. He's not coming to Elizabeth, the wife of a priest. He's not coming only as a prophet, but as the Messiah. All of that is reserved for John. He's the high watermark of the Old Testament. He's the one who comes in the expected way. But Jesus comes in a different way. He comes to the lowly servant of God. The one there serving her kinswoman. The one who says of herself that she is God's slave. That she has humble estate. That's how the gospel comes. The Messiah comes to a girl from the sticks. Not the proud. Not the rulers. And that's what this song points out to us, right? He's dethroned the proud. He enthrones the poor. And again, the gospel here, shaming the wisdom of the world. When the Messiah comes, he fulfills these psalms. One of the things we don't spend enough time thinking about here is that Luke putting this as fulfillment in Mary's mouth means that he's pointing out to us that Christ is the fulfillment of all these psalms. The promises. The songs they sing. And so we'll take the song here point by point. We're going to look at Mary's view of herself. We're going to look at those who fear the Lord and on Israel specifically. But Mary views herself as lowly. Right? We've already pointed this out again and again. She is blessed by God because of his plan and his action, not because she deserved it. She's the poor. She's the lowly. She's the one of humble estate. This word humble estate in verse 48 is the same um, word that we see in 52, humble estate. Right? This is what God does. Going back to Psalm 113, which we sang, what does God do? He sits the lowly, picks them up out of the ash heap, and puts them with his princes. And here, Mary views herself as the one in the ash heap. She's lowly. And this is not some humility, some virtuous thing. This is true. She's a 15-year-old girl from the sticks. She's coming into the house to serve her kinswoman. She's nowhere near Caesar. She's nowhere near power the seed of the empire. Perhaps her family lacks means. Now, as I said before, it's normal for psalms to talk about uh, the psalmists to talk about themselves as God's servant. We can look at Psalm 123, which talks about this and dwells upon this. But Mary does not exalt herself, and she's not having false humility The way she holds herself up is one who fears God and trusts his promises. His mercy that's been visited upon her is for those who fear him. 
And Mary has a view of those people as well. They are now having their fortunes reversed. The proud are being scattered. The kings are being overthrown. The lowly are being brought to the fore. Brought up and sat. And this is not just some feast of misrule that happens occasionally. No, this is a permanent reality in the kingdom of God. It's those who are needy who get to see Christ, who will be enthroned and share in His glory. Just like Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, right? The first will be last and the last will be first. And what Mary is telling us here in this song is that that is already happening. It's as good as done. The world is turning. It's changing. And so she connects this to all of those psalms, to all of those promises. Mary sketches out for us here in Old Covenant language that this is according to plan. We know that as we go on to read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Luke, it doesn't really pan out exactly the way Mary thought it would. It doesn't really go without twists and turns. But Mary here explicitly understands that the seed that she is bearing is the promised one. That what he's doing is fulfilling the promises, fulfilling that role. He is the seed that was promised. He is the one. That's what we see when Elizabeth says, blessed is the fruit of your womb, right? We're calling back. Jesus is that promised seed. And so God has come and helped Israel, not just those who fear God, including Gentiles, but Israel in particular, in remembrance of his mercy. God is remembering his people here with this tiny little baby, barely conceived. God is remembering his people. He's keeping his promises to the fathers, the promise to Abraham. Think about Paul picking up on this in Galatians, right? It's the seed, the seed singular, through whom all nations are blessed. And so Mary realizes that these ages are turning and it's changing things. Lowly people like her, women like Elizabeth, they're being brought to the fore. They're being utilized. We have a prophetess. We have a woman, a lowly young girl as the mother of our Lord. And Paul again will say, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Luke is picking up on that very teaching, that very theme here, and he's reminding us that in Christ, in this blessed child, women, children, Gentiles, they all have all the privileges of membership in his church. All have privileges of being in Christ. Think about it this way. All Christian children received the sign of baptism. That wasn't the case in the Old Covenant. Circumcision only works on about half. But now they're all welcome. They're not second-class citizens by being women. They're not second-class citizens by being Gentiles. We're all a part of the church. We all share in the benefits of Christ. 
Why? Because Christ came and the ages turned. Things changed as God had promised. And so now let us turn and consider for a while Mary's blessedness. Mary is blessed by her faith in Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Here and all throughout Luke's Gospel, it's very clear that this is Trinitarian. Think about the announcement to Mary, right? The Father sends a messenger in the form of an angel to promise the Son who will be born by the Spirit. In this story, Mary is carrying the Son, the seed, who is blessed. Blessed be the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit and proclaims a blessing. And all of this is recognized as being in accord with God's plan. All of this is part of the promise the Father had made. That's because Christmas, when we pause and reflect on it, is inherently Trinitarian. The mystery of the Incarnation that we celebrate is a Trinitarian mystery. Mary's blessedness is coming by that action, by the very seed that she's bearing. She is not superior to it. Which brings up that it's the season for discussing the role of the Virgin Mary. Already on Twitter or just out and about, you see folks talking about this. How are we supposed to talk about Mary? Many of us here probably have friends, neighbors, co-workers who are Catholic. They have a very different view of Mary that we do not share. We heard about that in our catechism lesson this morning. They will advocate praying to her as an intercessor. They look to her for grace, for help, something that's not present in Christ. Mary can add nothing to that which is lacking in Christ as though there were any such thing. But as Brian pointed out this morning, you look at medieval art and you see, right, Mary and the Christ child are all the gracious scenes. And then when Jesus is full grown, he's always bashing in heads. He's always coming back in judgment. He compared it to left behind eschatology, right? Where are you going to be when Jesus comes back? Jesus' presence is to bring fear and so they, they developed this idea that they could pray to Mary. She'll be gracious. She's the mother. She's meek and mild. We do not share that view of her. We do not pray to her, have her intercede for us. Because all of that grace is present in Christ. We don't need a mediator for our mediator. We have everything in Christ Jesus. Now, that said, while we have our own view of Mary, we should not be afraid to confess and to sing the things that we find in Scripture about Mary. Right? We affirm in our tradition uh, that it's acceptable to call her Theotokos. When we receive the creeds, and as our Belgic Confession says, you know, we agree with what the early fathers decided in accordance with them, it's okay to say that she is the mother of God. But we also affirm the logic of the early church here. When we say that, we're not confusing the natures. This goes back to confessing together the Athanasian Creed, right? We're not blending his essences. We're not 
dividing the person. What we're saying here is not that she begot the divine nature, but in the incarnation she is the mother of the one person who is God and man. That, that's why we can use this term. But this term should not elevate Mary to displace Christ at all. The Belgic Confession will also call her the Blessed Virgin Mary, just like she's called blessed here. Two different ways she's called blessed. It's okay to call her the Blessed Virgin Mary. I had a seminary professor who always just abbreviated it to the BVM, the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's okay. We can call her blessed. She was blessed. Scripture does. Our confessions do. We can sing the Magnificat. I was asked this week, why don't churches, more churches sing this song? Is it because we are afraid of creeping Mariology? It's okay to sing the words of Scripture. Let me tell you all that right now. We can do that. We will sing this song together. We should not be afraid of what Scripture says about the mother of our Lord. Some reformers even still maintain the perpetual virginity of Mary. This is not in our confessions. It's adiaphora. Mary was blessed. She was blessed. But we also need to look at how she was blessed, right? Her and Elizabeth are both blessed by faith, not through their merit or their virtue. Mary's song only makes sense if we understand her to mean that she's favored, not because she's better, but because she's worse. The favor that's given to her is because of God's promise, his promise to Abraham and the covenant of grace. She's favored by faith, by grace, through faith, and by the visitation of the Spirit. Again, Elizabeth's words, Fortunate is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her from the Lord. Why do we call her blessed? Because God spoke a promise and Mary believed it. Just like Abraham. Right? We go to Romans 4 or even going back into Genesis. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him, credited to him as his righteousness. Mary had faith. Mary had faith in that promised seed even as it was inside of her. Mary had faith in that baby she carried. Mary recognized what's often so hard for us to recognize. That Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of all of those promises. Mary received favor by carrying Christ. She received grace by faith, like we are all called to do. She did not receive favor by merit or by working. The favor she received was carrying our Lord. We heard in catechism this morning, and then I read it before our service, but I'm going to read it again. About the mediator, right? This mediator, Christ, whom the Father has appointed between himself and us, ought not to terrify us by his greatness, so that we have to look for another one, according to our fancy. For neither in heaven nor among the creatures on earth is there anyone who loves us more than Jesus Christ does. Brothers and sisters, Mary is blessed, but she does not love you as much as Jesus. She cannot mediate for you better than he can. 
She does not have the power. She does not have the love. She is not nearer to God. She's blessed. She's blessed by faith. We can be blessed by faith. God has turned the ages. We are in the time of fulfillment. All the promises of God, as Paul will say, are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And that's true even here as he's barely conceived. The promise has come. Mary has believed it. And now babies are leaping in the womb. Women are prophesying. God is enthroning the humble. God's turned the world upside down in the incarnation. And we can join that kingdom, that heavenly kingdom, that kingdom of Christ, kingdom of heaven. If we recognize that we're poor in spirit, that we're needy, that we're lowly, we do not have merit to bring. We need Christ the mediator just like Mary did. By grace through faith. And there's none of us here who are beyond that reach. We can experience God's assurance and his gospel and his blessing. If we believe in that promised seed. As the gospel will go on to tell us about him. Not only does he come down, but he bears the penalty for our sins. We just need to turn to him, trust him. And we will be able to sing this song alongside Mary. If you'll join me in prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we praise you for sending your Son into this dark and broken world. We praise you that Christ did not find the womb beyond his majesty. But he took on our humanity. He took on our own flesh to save us, to pay the penalty that we owed. We are thankful to you, Christ, that you scatter the proud, that you enthrone the humble and the poor in spirit who turn to you by faith. We are thankful that we are seated with you in the heavenly places, even now by the ministry of your spirit, bound to you, so that in Christ we are a new creation. We are thankful to you, O Christ, that we will reign with you in eternity, that you came to redeem us, and that you came to bring us into your blessedness and glory. We pray all of this in the name of Christ Jesus, the Righteous One, and by the Spirit who unites us to him. Amen.